So welcome to today's Conduit podcast. As a reminder, Conduit is a tribe of leaders and owners in the residential trades, and we certainly don't have it all figured out yet and may never have it all figured out, but we do recognize that together we get better. And my name is Jerry Bierman. I'm the owner-operator of Alluring Glass, and today we have a friend of mine that's revisiting the podcast, Stan Better, owner-operator of Stan Better Architects. Welcome, Stan. Thank you, Jerry. Hey, um, and I appreciate your, your willingness uh, to engage in more of these conversations. This series is, uh, is a new series that we just launched last week. Um, and the idea was that we see people like yourself stand at all the CRAN events and you know some of the home builders events and we see you, see you, see you, but we really don't know you that well or know how you got in the position that you're in. So we thought it'd be kind of fun to pull back the curtains and find out who in the world is this Stan Better that's been at this for a zillion, a zillion years. <laughs> no, no, I think uh, two zillion, but uh, okay. <laughs> Quite a few. So give us and a little... Way, thank you. I just want to thank you, Jerry. I, I think what you're doing is a wonderful service to the people who are in this industry and learning and understanding are the highest ideals you know we we all try to achieve and uh your quest to be a part of this and promoting the sharing of thoughts and ideals makes you someone special and so keep up the great work and and i know i'm sure you're very much appreciated but i just wanted you to know that uh, that i very much appreciate what you're doing wow. thank you thank you very much greatly appreciate that so give us a glimpse, uh, Stan Better, his family, kids, grandkids, is as deep as you want to go. Um, what's, your, uh, what's your family look like? Well, um, in regards to family, currently I have um, uh, a second wife, Elaine, and between us we have four girls, all of which are now married, and six grandkids, the youngest is four, and the oldest will be attending college next year. Uh, my first wife, uh, unfortunately, contracted MS in 1975 and has since passed away. Uh, she was in a wheelchair and I was a caregiver for her for many, many years. Wow. And that gave me a strong feeling for the rights of the disabled. And mm. also, I used this knowledge in later life to advocate for universal design in all my projects. Whether you know the young family or an old family, it made no difference. Uh, I would always try and promote, uh, you know, wide doorways and you know things like that. Universal design elements in all my projects. Uh, sometimes to you know where I'd have to fight to get them, but uh, it always was something that I felt very strongly about. And I'm sure the people over the years appreciated, you know, because they could be in a skiing accident and uh, break a leg. And all of a sudden they need to be in a wheelchair or crutches and, you know, wide doors and wide hallways and so forth become real handy at that point. Mm -hmm. um, I have a younger sister and brother. Neither one of them is in the trades. But uh, my immediate family, my father was a furniture maker and upholsterer. Oh. Uh, and I worked for him in the summers, mostly removing fabric from old couches, 
that were going to be reupholstered. Um, and I really cherish those memories because uh, I would work for him over the summer and uh, we would get up together and go down to the Wheel Cafe downtown. I don't think that's in existence anymore, but we would have breakfast together and, uh, and I would get to spend the day with him. Uh, and that was, that was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, he had inherited the business from his father. Uh, the business actually, Jacob Better and Company, uh, was actually nationally known and produced some custom furniture for such celebrities as Jackie Gleason, Liberace, Ed wow. Sullivan. Oh my um, God. So unfortunately, he died quite young at the age of 49. Mm. Um, and but my mother is still with us and she's 94. Wow. Um, but unfortunately, due to macular degeneration, she's now mostly blind. And it's a challenge to have, you know, a quality of life for her. But mm. she does manage, you know, once uh, every weekend. I, I do what I call I air her out. I go over and I bring her back to the house and, you know, we sit and we talk and, and we do things. So um, that's sort of the family in a, yeah. in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, Stan, and sorry to interrupt you, but the, and I don't know if I've ever shared this with you. Um, and probably one of the reasons that, um, that I have so much affinity with you is that my, my father ended up uh, getting cancer and then uh, had multiple strokes. The, the he had like thirteen strokes. The last was a brain stem that put him in a in a hospital bed in our living room, basically. And so my mom, for gosh, a lot of years was working a full time job and his full time caregiver. So um, it's an it's you know it's it, you do what you got to do. It's uh, incredibly admirable um, and um, just gut wrenching. It is uh, yeah, it's tough. Gosh. Yeah. So, and that has helped uh, obviously define who you are. Um, and, uh, and I'm sure in, in many ways has built character that you've now passed on to your, your, uh, your girls and your grandkids as well. Um, so when you were in high school, did you, did, and I, you may have alluded to this a second ago, did you start like, did you uh, work with your dad like after school or on the, in the summertime? I worked just in, in the summers. Uh, I didn't uh, work for him during the school year. Okay. Um, but uh, his, I mean, what he had and what I was able to experience can just not be duplicated anymore mm -hmm. because um, we were dealing, or he was dealing with a, a wood shop, so he would build things, an upholstery shop, which... Uh, uh, you know, would be covering the fabrics. Uh, they had a um, uh, stripping shop for, you know, old furniture that they would strip down and, and redo. Uh, so I remember this big vat of acid that they would drop it into. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's no way they would ever pass OSHA requirements anymore. But uh, sure. back then, that's the way it was. And he had about, oh, I'd say maybe 20 people working for him. Uh, and they did quite a big business, uh, uh, and unfortunately he died too young, but, uh, uh, that's, you know, that's what I had to deal with. So, 
Um, and he died actually in my second year of college. Mm. So uh, as, as tough as college is, that just made it almost unbearable. So, but uh, schooling wise for me, uh, I actually went to North Avondale in elementary and we lived across from the Xavier Fieldhouse and the football stadium. Back then, Xavier actually had a football team. Now you're doing it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and if you watch the movie Marshall, the team that they play at the end after the tragedy mm-hmm. is Xavier. So uh, it kind of brought back memories. Wow. But uh, eighth grade through Woodward, uh, through 12th grade, I, I uh, went to Woodward. And you can listen to the last podcast. But at that point, I really uh, defined that I wanted to be an architect. Hmm. Um, I was accepted to UC, which is a uh, UC Architecture, which is a six-year co-op program in 1967. Uh, And co-op is, for those that don't know, uh, or UC co-op, there actually is uh, the first two years you are you're in school the whole time. And then after that, you, we were on quarters. So we split the class in half, half went to work and half went to school and you traded off for the remaining four years till you finally met your classmates, you know, at at the end of the six years. And, and uh, you know, that's who graduated. The first day of architectural school, we had about 136 in the class. Um, we were told to look at the person to our right and the person to our left. And we were told in six years, they won't be here. So I always wondered who looked at me, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, That's great. That is- we, we ended up graduating about 60. So they were, they were right. One of, one of the real interesting things about co-op is that you get to have the experience of working in an office without the office being committing to you to, you know, for full-time employment. Mm-hmm. And I was extremely fortunate to have some very interesting co-op jobs. Uh, my first one was with uh, uh, GBBN, Gartner Burdick Bauer Nielsen, back when Gartner Burdick Bauer Nielsen was Gartner Burdick Bauer Nielsen. Um, today they're, they're no longer, none of the original guys are, are still in the firm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we work mostly on state projects like schools and hospitals. Um, one project though, which kind of came to mind as I was thinking about this is that, um, we actually did some cabins design for a sleepaway camp in Indiana, uh, called Camp Livingston. And interestingly enough, 30 years later, um, I was chairman of renovation of that camp. And I was the one that got to redesign the cabins and work on the camp uh, to um, to, they had gotten some, they got about five million bucks to uh, to do a lot of work. And so I was the one that was in charge of actually. uh, seeing that project through, and wow. and so I I did design work and also some other work. The second 
co-op job I had uh, was um, Harry Balky Engineers. And that was very interesting because they did all the highways, you know, 71, 75. Okay. Um, and back then there were no computers. So every 25 feet, you would have to draw another uh, pavement section for the, the contractors that were building the roads. So you can imagine how many sheets are in one mile of, uh, uh, you know, of, of a project. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing about Harry Balky, though, is that he designed the lunar lander for Apollo 11. Um, wow. So that, that's pretty heavy-duty stuff. Yeah. Um, the third one I, I worked on was um, in, in my last co-op job was with Abe and Ben Dunbar, uh, and I mainly did nursing homes and so forth. Mm -hmm. And they actually were graduates of Frank Lloyd Wright's Taliesin in uh, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. uh, and Abe actually was the project manager for Falling Water. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Falling Water is, is Frank Lloyd Wright's most famous residential building. Um, if you get a chance, look it up and you, you see that it's just it's spectacular today as it was spectacular uh, back then. But after co-ops, I still had to work two more years under an architect before I'd be allowed to take my license exams. Um, and during that time, I met my future initial partner. Um, he was using Ben as an architect. Uh, and I was assigned to do his work. He was a remodeler, and uh, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I enjoyed it probably because I enjoyed, rather than being a very small part of a large, giant building, yeah. I, was, I, 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 was, I was much more involved in all aspects in a much smaller building. Hmm. Uh, and so... I realized that's really the direction I wanted to go in my life. Um, and fortunately, he offered me, uh, offered to team up with me and create a, you know, kind of transitioned his firm to a design build firm. And this was in 1977. And so he and I got together. And as we grew the company, we grew to be roughly about 25 employees. We had about six crews. We had a sales staff. We had an architectural division. Wow. And soon I realized that I didn't have a clue about the business of running a firm. Yeah. Um, or more importantly, about sales. Hmm. So um, I realized if I was going to be successful with this, I needed to get out of my comfort level and learn first hand how to be a salesman hmm. now eventually i could walk into a room with a cold call uh addition lead evaluate the project design the project in the person's home price the project write a contract provide financial papers to secure the funding for the project have the person sign all the papers and walk out with a check for about a third of the total cost of the project all in one sitting. 
What was the, give me a, um, give me a little snapshot of uh, how, how long did that process take for you to learn how to do that? Oh, I would say a couple years. Okay. So pretty quick. And again, I made lots of mistakes along the way. I think I told you that one story where I, you know, I, I went into a project where the guy wanted to do a, 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 a photography studio and I talked the guy's ear off about photography. And at the end, he thanked me and left and gave the job to somebody else. So uh, I learned that, uh, you know, to be a salesman, you know, if, if you were going to make it in this business, you need to, you know, you need to have that understanding on how to uh, how to control a sales call. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's been one of my you know, hallmarks of, of, of feeling that, that, that I have this, um, what do you want to call it? I, I, I have this confidence that I can walk in and I'm going to be the best person for you. And here's why, and here's what I can do for you. And here, here's a piece of paper, sign on the dotted line. Because mm-hmm. so many people go through the whole process and then never ask for the sale. I think I remember um, at lunchtime, which struck me, you know, that, that one of the, one of your strengths was to, you know, you were confident and to ask for the sale sign here and have that expectation and your, your success rate has been just tremendous. Hey, backing up to your partnership, were you 50, 50 partners? Yes. Wow. That says a lot about, so he obviously had an incredible value for what you were going to bring to the table. Did you feel, maybe it's difficult to reflect on the, um, the stresses involved in that. Did it seem like a very large risk for you to do so back then? Oh, um, at, at that point, I, I was finding the direction. I mean, again, I said, I always knew I wanted to be an architect. But I never knew exactly what that meant, you know. And after doing the co-ops and so forth, I realized that I didn't want to be in an office of, you know, 20, 30, 50 people. Um, I wanted to be a self-made man and and, uh, I wanted to have control over my destiny. And the only way I was going to do that is to combine my talents of architecture with uh, sales and construction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <So> that's why <clears throat> I created a design build uh, model and, you know, I used it, the, you know, in the remodelers ink years and perfected it and ultimately, you know, uh, still use it today. Yeah. So in 1981, uh, all came crashing down when interest rates went from 6% to roughly 18 percent mm-hmm. i mean people today have no clue about interest rates especially back then were you know a six percent seven eight percent loan was a great loan um but our business model at back then was pretty much uh you know a working class let's say like a mailman that wanted to add an addition on his home it wasn't really you know, what, what he was going to get design wise, it was more, how much can I get for $200 a month payment? Um, 
So that's how we kind of had a design around the design build. But when rates jumped so high, uh, there was no way we could reinvent ourselves fast enough. And we weren't capitalized at the time and enough to survive. So um, uh, I always say I got my PhD in the School of Hard Knocks yeah. in 1981. Yeah. And, uh, and that is, is probably one of my biggest learning experiences on, on stress and how to deal with people and, mm-hmm. and you know, soul searching, reinvent yourself. All those things I had to go through. Uh, now, my, you know, my uh, family and people that I respected all said, you know, go work for somebody else and take your time and think about it. And, and you know, I, I just couldn't do that. I just couldn't do that. So um, I, I, just, I just said, I'm going to. I'm going to continue on. So I basically went underground. I went into my basement and uh, took one crew with me. And, and I believe it was the best idea I ever, I ever had. Um, and, and those years afterwards, especially those, you know, 81, 82, 83, uh, were some of my best years for doing, uh, premier jobs. Um, and and I've won a number of awards. Uh, since then, I've won over a dozen Design to Build awards. I've been featured in Remodeling Magazine, House Trends, Qualified Remodelers, Insane Magazine, you name it. Uh, I've been in a book. Uh, I've had projects on HGTV. I've been interviewed on radio and television. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've nationally lectured on Design Build. Um, and most important, I've been a proponent uh, for handicap and accessibility yeah. through universal design. And I obviously see where that came from. Sure. I mean, I even, uh, I was part of the commission that wrote the Cincinnati, City of Cincinnati contractor ordinance. Um, they had asked me to be a part of that. And uh, so I, I helped write that ordinance. Hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty proud of all my accomplishments. Uh, even though I'm never finished with my accomplishments, but, uh, yeah, no, it's good. You should be proud. You know, it's a lot of hard work and you know, you, the, the amount of times that you said you had to reinvent, um, and or innovate or, um, you know, create iterations of change. Um, what was the, as you look back on, um, as you you glance back on your career, what was what's been the most surprising for you? Like, what what did you not expect to happen? Um, and it might not be just one thing, but what's something that as you as you had hope for your future as a young man, and then as you reflect back on it, that you didn't know that you were going to really enjoy these certain aspects of it. What's what has surprised you the most? Um, I think just, you know, I, I, I looked at my father who I considered very successful in, in the business that he had. And, you know, I'm saying to myself, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I can yeah. be a, a leader or, um, uh, or, you know, run a successful 
law, you know, it's a small business relative to Procter and Gamble, but, uh, um, but, you know, I, I think always in the back of my mind is that I wanted to be in control of my destiny. Yeah. Um, I did. And as a matter of fact, um, I have never applied other than the co-ops. I have never applied for a job in my life. Um, so at no point in time did I work for anybody else. And I think that's just in my DNA. Yeah. And my father was the same way. He, uh, yeah, my grandfather was the same way. And so it was just a matter of figuring out because my father said, you know, don't go into this business. It's, you know, it's, it's not really going to, you know, be a future that you're going to, you're going to enjoy. Um, and I just, I, I always had this inner drive to be a self-made man and to, uh, uh, to set my own goals and not have people set them for me. And, uh, um, just be, you know, whether, whether I failed or whether I succeeded, the most important, most important point is that I tried and, you know, that gives me little regrets looking back. Certainly, you know, the 1981 experience I had no control over, uh, but looking back, you know, it turned out that that was a blessing in disguise because back then I had a partner and. 1981 eliminated that for me without having me make that decision. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, that, that's just, like I said, in my DNA. And I think, I think when you talk to people, you can kind of tell right off the bat, whether this person is a person that's comfortable just being behind a desk and, you know, and, and doing an eight to five uh, job or, one that says, you know, I'm 24 seven, uh, and I, I want to be in control of my own, uh, destiny. And I I guess that answers. Yeah. 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 I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. I totally, I totally get that, that you, you know, the, in some, you know, probably a lot was you observed with your, with your father for certain, that you watch somebody that said, you know what, I'm, I'm in control. Um, I'm not going to be a victim. I'm going to make things happen and I'm going to live with the, uh, I'm going to live with the consequences of that, which is really fantastic. I, I would like to, I got to stop for today. However, I would like to uh, revisit a sales um, doing more tactically. I'd like to have another conversation with you, a podcast on, um, on sales. I think that would be really interesting on some of the techniques that you've developed over the years, if you're willing. Sure. Uh, one quick thing, uh, I was thinking, you know, you don't ask people like their favorite book or their favorite movie, um, which I think would be an interesting thing to hear. In, in my case, my favorite book slash movie is the fountainhead. I don't know, uh, if any of your, People know of it or have ever heard of it. It's by Ayn Rand. Uh, there was a movie of it probably in the late 30s, early 40s. Um, if you really want to learn about what makes an architect tick and what uh, uh, what a leader is all about and yeah. being a self-made man, that is the 
that is the book or and or movie to to watch. So that's my that's good. Know, that's my uh, that's my two cents yeah, worth for I you. Uh, no, that's good. I just added that to the list. Favorite book, favorite movie. Now tell us one more time the name of it. The Fountainhead. The Fountainhead. And it's by The Fountainhead by Ann Rand, A-Y-N-R-A-N-D. It's it. a gal. Awesome. But uh, it's, it's an old time black and white movie. Uh, it's kind of cheesy on the love story bit. But uh, the message is very, very powerful. And I guarantee you, you watch it, it'll become your favorite movie. That's awesome, Stan. That's awesome. Well, as we, it is fascinating. As we, uh, as we launch this series, um, it really is great that we have seen you for years. And now um, with this 30-minute call, getting a little glimpse into your, uh, into your past, I think that we know you a little bit better. So. Thank you, uh, thank you again, Stan. You're you're a good friend, and you're um, you're you've made a great contribution. Uh, you've left a tremendous. You're leaving a tremendous legacy behind. So thank you. Well done. Thank you.